0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Welcome. Like I said, it's a big Sunday here. It's a kickoff Sunday for the fall series, and we're going to start in our book of Mark today. Brought a lot of band together, we got their vibes and the trumpet and all kinds of fun stuff. And the window! Isn't that great? Uh, that, gosh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, get, let's do that. Let's get her done. Um, let me tell you a little story. A few years ago, um, my wife Melinda and I were uh, vi- visiting Vancouver and we were staying at a friend's house. and he, It came with a car. So I dropped Melinda off at the grocery store and went around the corner to uh, get some fuel in the, in the gas tank. And while I was doing that, a, a policeman pulled up behind me, right behind me, and, and got out and let me know that my license plate had expired. It my car, but license plate expired and they're going to have to impound the car right, right there. And, I mean, the, the policeman couldn't, it was, it was a prototypical, right, can, Canadian police. I mean, he was tall, he was attractive, he was extremely polite. As a matter of fact, this is a picture of him. He looks exactly like this <laughs> Dudley Light right, guy? And so, so we were talking UT football while he was uh, checking on my driver's license to make sure all things were well. And the next thing you know, his sergeant comes around and boxes my car in with his cruiser. Now that car is trapped between these two cruisers. And it's starting to kind of get a little bit weird that it's taking so long. And so I started walking over to the sergeant's car. His door's open now. He's on his laptop and, and, the, and the communication thing, right, this little walkie-talkie thing. And, and, I, and I, start, I come over there and I say, hey, what, what's, what seems to be the problem? And here's what he did to me. He said this, get behind my car. <laughs> he went for his gun and said, get away from my car. And do you know what I did? Oh, I did that very thing. <laughs> I got, I, so I go over to the, the uh, I said, hey, Dudley, what's, what's going on here that he would be so alarmed at what's happening? And he said, okay, so it turns out uh, there's a Matt Cassidy in Canada that's wanted for armed bank robbery. And we're just trying to make sure that it's not you. <laughs> well, I said, just then, this is true, just then, Melinda comes walking around the corner with all the groceries from the mart, but she's in the, with these handbags that say, I heart cupcakes. And I said, hey, Dudley, there's my accomplice right now. We call her Melinda, but her real name is Bonnie Parker. <laughs> and i got to tell you, there are times to make jokes about being a bank robber, and there are times that you should not make jokes about being a bank robber. Several minutes, nearly an hour goes by, and then I was finally cleared. I'm not that same bank robber, but here's, here's, there's a point to the story, honestly. Um, it, it, killed, it occurred to me that, you know, I was not thrilled that, uh, that that I, right, that, I, that I was having to live with the reputation of bank robber Matt Cassidy and not Pastor Matt Cassidy. And I was a little bit scared that I was going to have to live with the consequences of bank robber Matt Cassidy and not Pastor Matt Cassidy. And here's think about this, you know, what somebody does to your name, that some people might learn about me and make decisions about what type of person I am based on the evilness of bank robber Matt Cassidy and not maybe Pastor Matt Cassidy. So how do you think Jesus feels? Think about that. Think about how many people have made decisions based on people taking a name and inflicting all kinds of other activities upon it. And then are you supposed he's uh, thrilled about people using his name in a way that tears the name apart? Do you think he likes living with the consequences of other people's actions And they reflect on him. How does he feel? How does what, like truth be told, right? Truth, we're into that. Truth be told, what's it like to have other people telling people about what you're like when all those things are lies? That's kind of what we're doing. Let's do this. Let's do this. This semester, we're looking at 12 straight weeks pretty much, one break in the middle, of looking at who Jesus is in his words in his actions, or firsthand accounts of people that were there. Let's do this. Let's look at that. We're going to look at the the story from Mark. There are four, you know, official authorized biographies of Jesus Christ. One of them is Mark. It's the shortest one. We'll look at that this semester, and we'll say, look, let's make some uh, decisions based on what is true and what really happened. So there's three applications today. Application number one, you do the work. Here's what I'm asking everyone to do. Do this work. Find out what the lies are that you believe about Jesus that aren't true and that maybe you brought in with kinds of baggage from you know, a, a pastor experience or denominational experience or maybe your home life, whether good or bad. Look, if you're raised in a good Christian home, good for you. That's great. Doesn't mean what everything they said was true. And besides, it's your faith. You, you need to do this. You need to do this work. What is hypothetical, what is theoretical, what is fantasy, and what is true? Some of you, maybe you bring in baggage from church history. Think, what would, think of the things that have been done in just the logo of the family crest of Jesus Christ, the cross. Right? The, 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 the Inquisitions, Nazi Germany, right? the Crusades, all these things. And Jesus is going, no, 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 I'm not bank robber Jesus. You know? that's not who I am that's not what i'm like and I and so listen, you owe it to yourself to do this to do the work on this you owe it to Jesus to know who he really is and if and if he says something and you don't like it, fine, make your decision based on what he says, what he does, and then at least you're then you're living a life out of what's true that's what we do with grace honestly this that's the maybe the the job of this church is to f- track down and find out the lies that we believe about God, because that's the most important thing about you, is what you believe. But we get those lies, and we smother them and drown them and kill them with truth, and then we live our lives based on those, the death of lies and these newfound truths. So uh, that's what we're doing, for, you know, for the love of God, for the love of your own life. That's the challenge for this semester. You in? Say yes. Okay, we can go on now. Okay, so now let's look at the book of Mark. Mark's a great book. Uh, it's it's the shortest gospel. He's in a hurry most of the time. And so much so that his first sentence coming out of the block is he's going to say, you know what? This is who Jesus is. It's like a, a lawyer coming out and saying, my client's innocent. Boom. Now let me prove it. And that's what he's doing. He's going to say this, Jesus is the king. It's the theme of the book. Jesus is the king. And he's the he, first part of the book is he's Jesus is the king that was promised. I'm going to show that to you. I'm going to show that he has power. I'm going to show that he has authority and I'm going to I'm, I'm going to let him speak for himself. I'm going to let his deeds speak for him as well. That's the first part of the book. Second part of the book is he's the king, but he's not the king you wanted. He's the king you need. He's not the king you need want. He's the king you need. He's the suffering servant king. He's the suffering servant king. And so what you're going to see is Mark's in a hurry. He says he, he says the word immediately 42 times in this book. And he's going to rush to this part at the end, and he'll spend more time in the crucifixion than any of the other three writers because he wants to slow things down. And he says, no, 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 he's not who you think you wanted. He's the one you needed, and that's why he writes in such a fashion. So kind of with that in mind, watch what happens with the very first verse. I'm going to use two different translations so you kind of see, uh, like, the, the, the nuances of, of how to interpret Verse 1-1, Mark, beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, I mean, you can see, in, in comparatively, you can see that good news means gospel, or gospel means good news, and Christ and Messiah are intertwined. But, I, I, but look at the first part, the beginning of the good news. Barclay writes, a Bible scholar writes, he says, he writes, his translation is, this is the beginning of a great story. <laughs> This is how it all began. That's his point. And so when a a Greek ear or a Roman ear heard the word Christ, Jesus the Christ, that's a title. We, We make it look like Jesus Christ is his first and last name. Christ is a title. And so if you're a Roman, speaking Greek, you think, oh, that means an anointed royal king. If you had a Hebrew ear and you're listening to Jesus Christ, you'd say, wait, that means Messiah. That means the promised one that was promised by God in ages past that he would come and he'd be a king that rules. He would be a king that delivers us from our, from our enemies. So, so in that first sentence, I just want you to see that first sentence is loaded with this declarative statement that says this, that this is the good news about Jesus, the king, the Messiah, the promised one, the royal one. He's not a king. He's the king. That's the point of Mark. And he says it right at the beginning. Now, our outline is... I want to just see, show you what's happening with, now that he has that topic sentence done. We're going to learn about the forerunner to the king and then the king himself. The forerunner and then the king. The, the for, kings need forerunners. That's why it starts with a forerunner. Even today, dignitaries, presidents, ru- you know, rulers of countries, before they come to a town, they have a forerunner. Right? They're called the advanced party. And what does the advance party do? They say, look, look, this is going to be the path that the the president's going to go down, so we've got to clean this place up. We've got to fill in these potholes. Let's get all this trash and garbage out of here. Let's put on, you know, make this place look great. Still do it today. They did it back then when kings would come. And that's what John the Baptist is. That's what his job description is. He's the forerunner to the king, and he was prophesied to come before Jesus would be arriving. So verse 2 and 3, with that in context, it says, As it was written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Like at a voice, like one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way to the Lord, make straight your paths. Yeah, make straight your paths. Metaphorically speaking, make straight your souls. Why was this preparation necessary? Now the context of Mark is it's the first of the four gospels. First of the four biographies of Jesus. And so there is a gap. If you look in your Bibles, the last book is Malachi, and the next book is Matthew. Okay, There might be a page or two in between. There's 400 years in between there. And so this is the first story that happens after Malachi that ends with, your hearts are of stone. You're in time out. I'm not even going to talk to you because you're not listening. And so 400 years goes by, and, and John the baptizer, he serves as this alarm clock that says, okay, okay, listen, God is moving amongst us, like Aslan is on the prowl, right? He's moving amongst us. Things are changing back. It's a turning point in the way God is dealing with humanity, right? 400 years of slumber, wake up, get your lives right, make your paths straight, get your lives in order. That was his message. And so and it, he, he pulled in quite a crowd, if you look four through eight, So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to see him and confessing their sins. They confessed, and then they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And and this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I. I, The straps whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down to untie. I'm going to baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is an exciting time and people know God's moving just by the nature of the way they're responding to John the Baptist. So, and and I just want you to see that there's, this is no small commitment on their part, okay? uh, The the shortest distance between Jerusalem and the Jordan River is 20 miles, okay? But it's 4,000 feet down. It's a 4,000 foot descent upon some pretty rough terrain and they would go down there, all of Jerusalem in the whole of Judea would go down there. He had a huge crowd that walked a great distance to get there to have John say, you've got to get your lives right. You need to repent. You need to confess your sins out here and get baptized. Now, baptized, that's kind of a thing per- people in churches do. But back then, it was almost exclusively for a person converting to, from like non-Judaism to Judaism. A okay? non-Jew is called a Gentile. So when a Gentile would join the faith, they had some other rituals, but one of them was to be baptized. Taken down, it was for cleansing. It was, I'm cleaning up everything. I'm starting over. So John, his audience is almost exclusively Jews. These are people of the covenant. And he's telling them, no, 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 you might as well be a Gentile. We start over now because it's eminent that he arrives. He's coming soon. And so you... People that were stricken by, you know, God's spirit and, they were, and their conscience was, was startled, they were ready to confess their sins and to be baptized. But if you can imagine, that this is why the religious people didn't like John the Baptist, because they're like, I'm already of the covenant and I'm not getting in that water. That's why there was turmoil with those religious leaders and John. But the, the, the point is this, uh, the point is this, John was used by God to prepare the hearts for the people to hear Jesus. Listen to that job description, see if it sounds familiar. John was used by God to prepare the hearts for people to hear Jesus. That's our job description. All <laughs> right? I mean, right? John was used by God to prepare hearts to, to, to get them ready to hear Jesus. I mean, he, you know what? at grace, I'm just a pastor, but you guys are the, you're the ministers. I mean, this guy's a, John the Baptist is John the minister. That's all he is. If you look at John the minister and say, you know what, we can learn some things about him. Let me just give you three attributes. Application number 2, be like John. Be like John. You want to have influence? You want to have the ability to be heard? You want to have maybe the persuasive ability to be enticing for the sake of Jesus then, you know, in your family especially in, you know, at work, at your hobbies? This is what you do. First, you, you you're the, a true believer. What John had was long-term consistency in his dedication to the Lord. Long-term consistency in his dedication to the Lord. You know, when he's telling everybody, make their path straight, no one turned to him and said, well, you make your path straight. (laughs) I mean, he was John the Baptist. And he, he, he was speaking frankly because he could. Two, he was humble. John the Baptist was humble. Nothing speaks louder than a whisper. His humility... It, it just it permeated all of the ministry he did, and that will happen if you are involved in ministry. You're a minister. Try humility, and and you can see that because he says that he says that I, I'm not even I'm not even able to stoop down. He says, look at the words, stoop down and untie his laces. Now, a Hebrew slave uh, taking off someone's shoes was, uh, I, I guess, um, so disgraceful that even a, a Hebrew slave was not required to do that. And John is saying, okay, what a slave is not even able, required to do, I'm lower than that slave when it comes to Jesus. His, his life purpose is found in John 3, chapter 3, where he says, he says, Jesus must increase so that I will decrease. That's a great way to live. That's a great way to do ministry. Jesus increase, you decrease. Right? So it was the real deal. He was humble, and the last thing you need to understand is he knew his job description. He was just a receptionist. That's all he was—just a receptionist, right? You call some office somewhere, and who answers? The receptionist, and what does he or she say? uh, Let me put you on hold. I will connect you. That's all I do. Hey, man, don't don't give me troubles. I don't. I can't handle this kind of. I'm not here for the problems. Uh, Can I put you on hold? I will connect you. We don't do the heavy lifting. If you want to tell people about Jesus Christ, it's not up to you to convince them so much. you just like, hey, can I put you on hold for a second? Okay. How about we read the book of Mark together? We can meet at lunch once a week for 12 weeks. Let's just just let Jesus speak for himself. I'm going to move this over. Yeah, I'm going to put you on hold. I'm going to put you in the spirit of God. But he'll pick it up from here. A minister understands. Listen, a minister understands these limitations. Real believer, humility, and understanding that they're just going to pass this on, to somebody can hold this weight. Right. The spirit of God. That's the forerunner. Now let's look at the King. Forerunner to the King. This is the King. Let's look at this King. And when you when we look at this story, this is the story of his baptism, and his ministry. I want you to it'll. It'll make more sense to you if you can look at the story like a, like the creation story. Actually, it's the recreation story. The creation story is Adam in the garden. This is going to be the second Adam or the last Adam in, a, in the wilderness. Okay, and, and so that'll make sense out of it. And you'll see that this king, who Adam was supposed to reign the garden, this king is going to reign as well, and he will, be, he will be anointed, he will be approved, he will be initiated, and then finally we'll get to his initial teachings, okay? That's kind of the outline of how kings get to business. So, the first one is in the, rather, all of this is in the context of baptism. Let's look at that in verse 9. At, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee uh, and was baptized by John in the Jordan River, right? Now, this, Jesus being baptized, it's, it's, a, it's like the other baptisms, but it's not like the other baptisms. It's like the other baptisms because he went out there with John and was taken under the water and brought back up again, but it, he didn't confess any sins. See, the other ones that said they confessed their sins and they were baptized, it just says he was baptized because he didn't sin. So why get baptized? Huge thing. Why was he baptized? Two reasons because he humbled himself in his job description from the father he humbled himself to become man and so he's associating himself completely right with man. he's identifying with all of humanity and all of humanity is this experience of sin and i will i will experience that baptism as well so he's identifying with humanity he's also identifying with the remnant jews that were the real believers that had tender hearts for god and the real believers that still had tender heart for god they were going out to John the Baptist, and they were being baptized. And so Jesus does that as part of this remnant. He's a remnant Jew, and he's and he, he, bigger. He's putting his seal of approval on John the Baptizer. He's saying this guy is from God. I'm with him. He's with me, and that's why he was baptized. <laughs> this baptism, it was spectacular. It wasn't like any of the other baptisms. <laughs> Look what happens in ten and eleven. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased. This first part, verse 10, is his anointing. He comes up out of the water, and look at the graphic vocabulary Mark is using. He's that way. He says, Heaven is being torn under, one said, split apart. It's because God is invading humanity, and there's a violence that is required for heaven and and sinful earth to be reunited. And so that's the picture here. And this is is a fulfillment of a promise that was made in Isaiah. All of this is a prophecy, all pointing towards this is the king, this is the promised one. Because in Isaiah it says uh, that uh, my spirit, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And so people see this spirit is being his anointed. The king is anointed. Second thing that happens to the king is he's approved. After the spirit lands on him, the voice from he- the father says this. He says, This is my son, whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. This is a creation story. Creation story, all three parts of the Trinity there Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have the father speaking, the son being baptized, and the Holy Spirit being uh, descending and anointing. See how it's a baptism story again? And now he's being approved of. And this, again, is another fulfillment of a Psalm 2, verses 6 and 7. It's almost word for word. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, the holy mountain. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. The king is anointed. He's approved. And now he's needing to be initiated. This is the story of his temptation. Now, it, it seems strange. I mean, why not anoint and approve and, you know, Get to that ministry. Get to the mission that you have. There's a a pause here. Look at verse 12 and 13. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted that whole time. It's the way the grammar rolls uh, by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were attending him. Okay, uh, why is this necessary? Why, Why doesn't he just go right on to mission? Because... By humbling taking on the identity of humans, part of the consequence of being human is being subject to temptation. And so Jesus is taking on all of humanity. He's taking on that role. He's going to be God and man, but he won't use his divinity for his own well-being. And so that's how he's going to be tempted. Okay, there's a consequence for that. And so again, it's a creation story, second time written. The first Adam is tempted in a beautiful garden that's peaceful the second adam the last adam is i mean look at the literature here the second adam is tempted uh, in a dangerous desert and, and 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 mark mark omits the actual temptation story itself and the reason he omits that and, and adds other things is because his his gospel his bio, bi- biography is it's one of its themes is it's this constant conflict and suffering of the king and so what he he doesn't say the temptations but what he does say is that he's fasting and he's being tempted the full 40 days. It also says that there were wild beasts around. That's symbolic for demon attacks, demonic attacks. And so the the idea here is, is this this is a here's the picture that Mark wants us to hear. The king Jesus is a suffering king. Okay, he's 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 not a pampered king. He's King Arthur. He fights with us. He fights for us. He's in the trench of temptation with us. He has calloused hands, bloody knuckles, and a whipped up back. He's not, he, he's not up on a hill navigating the, the combat. He's tempted in every way except he did not sin, it says in the Bible. That's the king that Mark's writing about. This is no easy job description. Well, how do you tempt Jesus? Jesus. I think, I mean, right? Is he going to be tempted in every way like us? Yes and no, because Jesus' temptation is somewhat unique to him. It has many flavors, but the idea is, is the temptation is this, that he can be the Messiah without the suffering. And that's why Mark keeps bringing this up. He could, here's the temptation, Jesus. You can still do the mission without all the, without all the suffering, without the pain, without all the difficulties. You can do that. And it's a temptation because the order from heaven was, you will empty yourself of all things for your own well-being. So, so the desert temptation was, you, you, you can have your mission and not be hungry. Turn this uh, rock into bread. You can do that, Any can. You can do it, first class conditional. You can do that, but that's why it's tempting. You can do your mission and, and never be in danger or suffer. You can throw yourself off this cliff and the angels will catch you. You're good. you got spotters. You can can do the mission and never have opposition. Look, I'll tell you what, you just bow down, say the words, and I'll turn over everything to you. You don't even have to do it. Do the mission, but never have to suffer. Here's what uh, a great uh, theologian, F.F. Bruce, says. Time and again, the temptation came to Jesus from many different directions to choose some less costly way of fulfilling the calling than the way of suffering and to death. But he resisted it all the way to the end. All the way to the end, he's, this is how he's being t- tested and tempted. Garden of Gethsemane, think about this. What was his prayer? He is, he is sweating blood, and he's saying this prayer. Lord, Father, if you could, could take this cup from me. The cup is the wrath of the holiness of God. The wrath of the holiness of God the Father. Could you take this cup from me? Oh, to be the Messiah without the cross? No can't. That's what obedience means. The last temptation of Christ is when some schmuck was yelling, you saved others, save yourself, because he could. But he chose not to. This is a real king. This is… This, this is this is a real thing, friends, and I don't know how you picture Jesus, but I want you to hear what Mark is telling us in these passages. I want you, you need to broaden his shoulders and put a spine of titanium down this man because he is bearing the weight of the whole world on his shoulders, and he doesn't have to. He's a king with steel eyes. He might have a soft voice, but when he clears his throat, the planets rattle. He's tried and he's tested. He's been anointed. He's been approved. And now he's passed his his anti-Eden experience. And now he's going to teach. Now he's going to teach. 400 years God has not spoken. 400 years has gone by with not a single thing from heaven. And now heaven has been torn open. And these are the words. This is the message of the king. 14 and 15, and now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying this, look at those quotes, red letter, man. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Third application, (laughs) it should be pretty obvious. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let me tell you what that means. Repent, that means... Turn around. It means about face. It means change your values or your interpretation of worth on something. Okay? Might, sometimes it means change your conduct. It means turn around. Stop doing what you're doing wrong. Start doing what you're doing right, what you're supposed to be doing, right? Okay, there, there's that repent. And then the gospel. It says believe in the gospel. Now, I've intentionally left this definition till later because uh, the, the word is powerful. That was, Remember the first sentence? The gospel of God. That's how it started. Jesus, the Son of Man, the gospel of God. That's what he said. What does this word gospel mean? It's two two thoughts combined into one word. The main word is messenger, the the person giving the message. And the second uh, prefix that's added there is joyful. It's a joyful message. That's what gospel means, and that's why it's translated sometimes, instead of the word gospel, it's just translated good news. But let me tell you a couple of things. One, good is not a good word. It's great news. It means great, joy-filled news. And I want you to understand that when Mark wrote the word gospel here, in sentence one, and now when Jesus says it in verse 15, it it was an entirely secular word. I mean, now it's a genre of music, right, and literature. That's not how they perceived it. Gospel was used in the common vernacular when there was a, a, a a message that was given that was history-making, life-changing, joy-filling, joy right? right? Here it is again. History-making, life-changing, joy-filling message. It was plain, regular words. And when these people heard that word gospel, they heard a message of joy is given. Let me tell you how secular this word is. It, the exact same word was used when Greece finally uh, beat the Persians and, uh, in the Battle of Parthenon. And they sent a messenger an evangelist, that's that first word, by the way, messenger, they sent an evangelist to tell uh, Greece the good news. And here's what the news was. We fought for you. We won for you. You are no longer slaves. You are free. Is that good news? That is not good news. That is great news. That is life-changing, history-making, joyful news we fought for you, we won for you, you are no longer slaves, you are free. That word was used, gospel. That's what Jesus Jesus is talking about in this sentence right here. It's an announcement of something that happened that changes everything. That's what the gospel, that's what what Christianity is. That's how it's different than other religions. Look, other religions, here's some advice to follow. Here's a to-do list to get on, get on it. Christianity is an announcement of an historical event that absolutely transforms who you are and who you belong to. The gospel announcement is this, that Jesus fought for you, that Jesus won for you, that you are no longer a slave, and now you're free. That's great news. Repent and believe in that. That's, that's the first words after 400, silence, 400 years of silence, that's what he says. Repent, I've got some great news for you. And that's our outline, repent. Let's start with this, repent. It's the beginning of the semester, come and join us. Let's do this. Let's get all the way to Thanksgiving, right? Punch through to Thanksgiving, looking at the book of Mark. Let's start today, though, with do you need to stop doing something that's been nagging you, that, right? you know you should not be doing. It's destroying your relationships with other people, with yourself, maybe with relationship with God. You need to start doing something else. You need to repent of how you view life and who is the center of your universe. Uh, John the Baptist, do you need to confess your sins to someone? It is so lightning, you know, to tell someone, to confess something to someone. It, it takes the burden off of you. Shame is only as strong as the darkness that encages it in your soul. Shed some light on it. Let the world know it's good. Repent. Two, believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Believe in this fact. Change your mind maybe about this. That you think Christianity is coming here on Sundays and helping people across the street and all that other stuff. That is not the good news. That is mildly bad news. Christian message is an historic event took place, and in you were so bad that heaven had to be torn open, and God's only Son had to be sent here so that he would pay the cost for the debt that you had to the Holy Father so that you guys could have a conversation and ultimately, intimacy. You need to change your view on great news. It's not an activity, it's a truth. If you're new to this, stay with us. I know this, I mean, this is an avalanche of new information for some concept, rather a paradigm of religion versus uh, Christianity. So hang in there. Come back next week. Let's have more conversations. Let's let Jesus do the, the actions and his words, and let's see where that leads. But some of you, today's that day. Today's that day. Today's maybe a re-up for some of you. Kind of you've been out there in the desert yourself, and today's the day you say, I'm coming in. I'm coming in. I just <laughs> John the Baptist were here, you'd be in line, you'd be confessing your sins, you'd be going down and say, Let's go. Let's do that. So that's my appeal today. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.